Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Cliff Ravenscraft Show, a podcast devoted to helping you take your message, your business, and your life to the next level. This, my friends, is episode number 491, and I am your host, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man. In this week's episode, I want to start things off by just sharing with you an episode of a podcast that I listened to this week that I I found very inspiring, entertaining, It just full out enjoyable to listen to as an entrepreneur, somebody who's created their own business from scratch. I always love hearing people who have gone through difficult times and pushed through because they knew what they were doing was something worthy of pursuit. Even when financially things are so tight, you start making some really weird decisions that that most people would say, there's no way that's gonna turn out to be anything good for you. And how even the mistakes you make along the way might end up being the thing that helps propel you towards success. And the interesting thing about this podcast episode that I found in this story that I found so inspiring is that it's not about one of those things where you can just pull out and create a formula and say, hey, I'm going to do what they did and that's going to help me achieve greater success. Every now and then, you'll you'll listen to a podcast interview of an entrepreneur or a startup company, and you can pull out principles that are easily transferable to any field, any industry, and any business, and you can pull out that principle, apply it to your own business, and probably see greater success as a result. But there's this one story, or at least this one element of the story of this interview that I listened to this week that you're just not gonna say, hey, I'm gonna go create some breakfast cereal and see what happens to my business. Now, where is this all coming from? Last week in my mastermind group, my friend Michael Stelsner told us about an interview that he had just listened to, and it was all about Nolan Bushnell, who was the founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. And he was going on and on about how inspired he was by that episode. And I went in and subscribed to the podcast that he was talking about. And the podcast is called How I Built This by NPR. Now, I've been subscribed to this podcast in the past and I listened to a couple episodes. I found a couple episodes in early on that I liked and I listened to them. And then all of a sudden there were some episodes with companies and founders of companies that I didn't find all that appealing, and there was a there was a several of them in a row, and I found myself unsubscribing from the podcast because I don't typically listen to interview style podcasts very often. But I did go back in, resubscribe to the podcast. I listened to the Atari and Chuck E. Cheese's episode with Nolan Bushnell that was on February twenty seventh, two thousand seventeen, in the feed. And I enjoyed it. I I was glad that Michael told me about it. And so I went ahead and I I looked through the archives of the feed and I said, hey, you know what? Since I've unsubscribed, there's some episodes in here I would like to hear. Like, for example, Josh Zimmer, the founder of Lyft. I'd love to know a little bit more about the story of Lyft, which is the company that is the major competitor to Uber these days. Then Richard Branson, who doesn't know him, uh, the founding of Virgin, I would love to hear that story. Some other ones in here, Warby Parker. I've heard a lot about Warby Parker, which is where you can buy eyeglasses online. And there's a lot of episodes in here that mean absolutely zero to me as far as the brands, and it it just didn't sound all that appealing to, to jump in. But I do wanna tell you about this October 17th, 2016 episode. And it's inspired me uh, to to get thinking about how you never know what's around the corner, even when you do something that may be a mistake. Now, this October 17th, 2016 episode of How I Built This was all about Airbnb and Joe Gebbia, the founder of Airbnb. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I wanted to bring just a few elements, and I brought some audio clips here out of his story to just share with you an idea of what he may have went through. So he first talks about how he was inspired to start Airbnb by a passing <laughs> meeting with somebody that that needed a place to stay. It's a great story. I definitely want you to listen to the episode. But, you know, he had this idea after letting this guy sleep, a, a complete stranger sleep in his apartment, 
he had an idea that, hey, I wonder if we could turn this into a business. And well, obviously he gave it a shot. He did a couple different things where he started out with conferences and he didn't see the success that he had hoped, but he was still trying to build this thing. And here's the first audio clip that I'll bring in from the episode. We actually had um, six people put up listings in Austin and we had two people book those listings. Oh. One of them was Brian. <laughs> wow. So it was not a smashing success at all. This well, was, did you get, were you guys like sad or were you laughing about it or were you, um, you? No, this was completely demoralizing. Yeah. Here was this idea that we were so excited about and nobody took us up on the idea. All right. So there you go. So this was, it was South by Southwest. They figured, hey, all these tech startups got started in South by Southwest. If anybody out there is going to, quote unquote, get it with the idea of of booking your rooms and stuff like that, doing all this stuff online, South by Southwest is going to be a place where people are going to be open to the new idea. And it was a it was a failure. Two two bookings and one of them was booked by his co-founder. So not a great success. Obviously, he said the words demoralizing. This this is not great. And they said, okay, well, let's we're not giving up on this. They're gonna throw more resources into it, more money and more time and effort. This is the business that he felt was worthy of pursuit. And he was going to continue to go with it. Now, one of the things that he said was after the South by Southwest, he understood that there was an issue with people exchanging money. And so they they came up with the idea that maybe it'd be easier if we allowed people to pay for these bookings online, just like you would with a hotel. And that way there's not this awkward exchange of money in person and they were ready to implement all of this stuff and they came up with the next big event. And that's where this audio clip comes in. What if we timed the relaunch of our service? This will be the third launch. During the DNC, we can ride the coattails of all the Obama press to bring a lot of awareness to this marketplace. And so that's exactly what we did. We hustled, it went great. We ended up going from zero to 800 homes in a matter of four weeks. And then the convention ended. (laughs) And all of those numbers came crashing right back down. All right. So you hear how excited he got. 800 listings for people who said, hey, here's a room in my house that you can stay in. And and 800 listings on an idea. He was really excited. And then all of a sudden it, it immediately goes away to almost nothing. And so this was yet another failure. At this point, at least they had a lot of press and stuff like that. They knew that they could get those 800 listings. They were going to figure this out. He's like, I'm, I'm, this is still something worthy of pursuit. He's still pushing towards it. And then he decides we need to, we need to get some money coming in here. And so he starts seeking investing. And here's a little tiny audio clip from that. We get introduced to 20 investors in Silicon Valley. 10 of them reply to our email. Five of them meet us for coffee. Zero invested in us. It was completely demoralizing. Like 2008 was the worst year of my life. So nobody wanted to invest in his company. Every time he had a conversation, they're like, there's no way anybody's going to open up their home to complete strangers. And and investors like, this is this is a ridiculous idea. But he continued to pursue it. They put all of their expenses and were running everything in their business on multiple credit cards. And then he had this really crazy idea. And we're riffing on this idea of being airbed and breakfast and providing, maybe we gave our hosts some breakfast cereal to give to their guests. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if it was politically themed? Oh yeah, we could call it like a Obama O's, the breakfast of change. Or maybe Cat McCain's, a maverick in every bite. And we actually ended up making breakfast cereal. <laughs> Look, it's an entrepreneurial yeah. bender yeah. going on here. Okay, so they decided, you know, hey, wh- why don't we create something that'll get us a little bit of buzz and we're going to create these themed, political themed cereals and give them to the hosts. He tells the story about how they created these boxes and they got one guy that would give them enough money to to get these things created, but for a limited run... And because there is a limit, he says, hey, this is, you know, this is limited quality. It's basically, uh, 
you know, a collector's edition. And so he sold these boxes of cereal for like $40 a piece. And they sold enough of this cereal that helped them pay off their credit card debt. You think about this idea of creating cereal. And then there's this part in the interview where he, the guy who's interviewing him says, wait a second. So you made all of this money from selling these boxes of cereal. And and he's like, yeah. And, And so how does this fit in? Are you thinking about doing cereal instead of Airbnb? Is this is this your idea of maybe pivoting? And he's like, ah, at this point, we you know you never know. I mean, it, it, we didn't know. But and I'm thinking as I'm listening to this, and I loved it because the guy, the host of the show, is like, hey, you know, I, I wait a second, what what startup? I forgot all about Airbnb. Where does this fit in? And I loved how the story went that. Joe had gone and sought additional funding and investing from some other folks and some folks reached out to him. It was a very big company that reached out to him. He went into the interview, pitched the idea of Airbnb. And again, it's like, nobody's going to do that. You haven't been able to figure this out yet. I just don't see it. And the Joe's like, well, you know, hey, I, I forgot. I, I, I was going to give him a gift. I was going to give him one of these limited edition boxes of Obama O's or whatever. And so he goes and he gives him this box of cereal. And he's like, well, you got to tell me the story behind this. And what happened was he actually got the funding for the sole purpose of the fact that he had actually funded his startup on selling boxed cereal (laughs) and he says listen if you can actually find a way to in spite of the fact that you didn't get any funding and you were able to and you ran up all these credit cards and you were able to pay off all that credit card debt essentially funding your startup by coming up with a crazy idea of selling limited edition boxes of cereal that tells me that you've got something that if you believe in it, you're going to find creative ways to make things happen. And because of the cereal, the thing that honestly, if he would have went to a mastermind group and was a part of a mastermind group and says, I'm thinking about creating cereal and we're really going to focus a lot of time, effort and energy on this. Some fellow mastermind group members might have said, I think that's a terrible idea. Business advisors might have even told him, you know, hey, you're, you're losing your focus here. But yet, it, if he would have not pursued the serial idea, it, it was that that got Airbnb its first investor. And I just found that extremely expiring. And, and as you can see, this is not a formula that is something that you can pull out. But I want to just encourage people out there. There are sometimes you might want to do something in your business Things aren't working out and you may seek the advice and the wisdom of others and they're going to tell you, that's a terrible idea. I think you should definitely avoid that. This That's a distraction. And you know what? It may be. But sometimes you just got to follow your gut. And there is no guarantee that anybody else who would have done the exact same thing would have had things work out exactly the way it is today. But you know what? You've probably heard of Airbnb today. And you may not have had it not been for him creating those boxes of cereal. It's a great interview. I encourage you to check it out. There is one other insight that that is coming to my mind just now as I'm telling you the story and recounting it. And it has everything to do with the idea of scalability. And I was really inspired by that as well. The idea is that when you're a startup, these companies are taught to think about, hey, whenever you're going to build something into your system of how you're growing your business, you want to always think about scalability. So do things that will scale as you grow. And specifically, you know, technology-wise, you want to think about scalability. But he was applying that to just how he would market the business and how he would... And what I loved about the story was somebody gave him permission to do things that aren't scalable. It's this whole... message that you've heard me say many times. I quote it from Andy Stanley. And it's this idea, do for some what you wish you could do for everyone. And so once he got permission, if you will, and all he needed was somebody to say, hey, it's okay if you do this. 
But somebody gave him permission to do some things that are not scalable. And one of the things that he did in the very early days of Airbnb is he noticed that a lot of people were creating these listings. He noticed that people were taking and putting photos up that were absolutely atrocious. They were they were horrible. Nobody's going to rent their apartment if they look at an online listing with that. And this is back in the day when the average person who had a cell phone had a flip phone and it was like flip phone camera images. So they were really terrible. And so what he did, and, and of course, by this time, they were experiencing some, some success getting listings. And so what he did is he booked a trip to New York City and went and visited a lot of people who had listings with a rented photography camera. He has a background in creative art and stuff like that. So he knew a lot about photography. And so what he would do is he offered to go in and create amazing photos and he would even stage these apartments and houses and in these listings and he would do photography for these listings for people. This is totally not scalable. He can't continue to do this for everyone, but he did for some what he wished he could do for everyone. And even that, I remember, you, I, I heard about it in the interview here, but it reminded me of years ago when I heard them talk about this on This Week in Tech. That was just where I first heard about Airbnb. And one of the major stories and conversations was here's this, here's a founder of a company who is going out and helping people by taking photos of their apartments for them. This is the actual founder of the company going out and doing this. So I found that very inspiring. And it's the idea of getting, getting out there, getting to know your clients and building a relationship with them. And in fact, there were several uh, folks that he went out and visited where he you know, spent up to hours with them and he came back and the, the listings that were getting bookings uh, consistently were the ones where he had gone and taken these photos and he had spent time and these people are even more committed to the to the platform and that's just a little bit of inspiration that I got from one podcast episode, the Airbnb Joe Gebbia episode of how I built this. Go check it out. I think that if you listen to the whole story, you'll be just as inspired and as I was. I, I loved that story. And when I heard it this week, I knew I wanted to share that story with you. All right. And the other thing that I wanted to share in this episode, and in fact, I wanted to share it last week, but I didn't. And I'm not even sure about this week now, but I want to tell you about a book that I have started to read many times, but never have finished. I still haven't finished it even once. I'm one of those people when I come across a book that I'm that's really just like blowing my mind with all kinds of new fresh insight and perspective and, it, and it's just ca- causing mindset breakthroughs, helping take my mindset to a whole new level, helping me see things in a, in a way that's going to just like elevate things to, you know, just to new greater heights. When I get into a book like that, I tend to take forever to consume it, to read it, because I will read a paragraph and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to think about this. I'm going to highlight it. And there are certain books of this nature where if I were to look at the first chapter, chances are I would do better to highlight the sections that I don't want to highlight, if you know what I'm saying. I've highlighted all but maybe five sentences throughout the chapter. The book that I'm talking about is Thou Shall Prosper. And the the author of the book is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And well, it this is definitely one of those books where I spent weeks consuming the first chapter of the book and still kind of not really finishing the chapter yet. Now, part of it is because this book is not easily broken down into chapters. In fact, it's the Ten Commandments for Making Money. And the thing is, is that um, these the each commandment is made up of like tons and tons of sections and there's no chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. It's, re- I, I personally, I do not like books that don't have easily consumable chap, you know, where it's not broken up by chapters. I am in the process of restarting this book again. I started it a couple weeks ago and I've made it through the first commandment, which trust me is a ton of material in this book. And one of the things that I decided is I was going to create some highlights and I was going to bring some quotes from the introduction and, and this first chapter or this first section of the book called the first commandment. 
and share them with you. And one thing I got to say, there's a part of me that wishes that as soon as I get really excited about doing something as far as creating content, I wish I could just stop what I'm doing and immediately come into the studio and record that right then and right there. Because when the inspiration to do something comes up, I'm super passionate, super excited. I can't wait to share that content in the way that I have set up in my mind. But inevitably what I do is like, oh, this will be great for the next episode. And the recording of the next episode may be a couple days later. And unfortunately, sometimes my passion for how excited I was to share that content, it kind of slowly fades away a little bit. So much so that there are times when I'm thinking, maybe I just need to pull out my voice recorder app or my Griffin iTalk application on my iPhone and just record some thoughts and share it as I am and maybe come in and bring uh, share them as audio clips in the episode. I'm I'm not opposed to doing that and maybe I will. I I don't know. But at least right now, I think it's a good idea to go ahead and jump in and share some of these quotes from this book. First of all, this quote that I'm going to read to you is from Dave Ramsey who wrote the foreword to the book. He says, "There is a dignity to wealth creation through honorable business that is unlike anything else on earth." There is no crime in handing someone a dollar for a job well done, and there's certainly no shame in accepting it for providing the service. That's why Rabbi Daniel Lappin calls every dollar you earn a certificate of appreciation from your customers. Now, I will tell you that my perspective years ago and before reading this book and a couple other materials that that helped change my mind but I used to feel a lot of shame in charging people for the things that were naturally gifted to me. My ability to know and understand technology, how to understand how mixers work and cable, what cables go where. I've worked with people who spent literally days, weeks, sometimes months, and yes, even years trying to figure out equipment and the technical sides of starting a podcast. And literally, I've been able to take somebody who has absolutely zero clue, and in my one-on-one consulting and coaching days, I've been able to actually help them learn everything they needed to know with a single two-hour phone call. The best time that I've ever had, I had a person who had all of their equipment but nothing hooked up, and with a single two-hour phone call, was able to, through over the phone, without actually seeing what they're seeing, but over the phone, I was able to help them hook up every wire. And this wasn't just a, a simple setup, hook, hook a microphone up to a computer. No, this is hooking a microphone up to the mixer, getting every single knob on the mixer in the right place, hooking up uh, an external audio player, so an iPad with some clip software on it, installing a sound clip on it, having a digital audio recorder, sending audio out of the mixer for that, and also connecting it to a computer for a Skype conversation and configuring it so they can do what's called a mix minus. Setting all of that up, working them through every single menu option in the recorder, and then logging in with them during screen sharing, I was logged into their WordPress website, installed a couple plugins, configured them, explaining them what I was doing all through the process, setting up a Lipson Media hosting account, and actually having them record a Skype conversation with me as a first introductory episode of their podcast while we're on this connection together. By the way, we had switched from the telephone over to Skype because now Skype's working for them. And then putting that first episode online in less than two hours. For me, these kind of things are enjoyable. I get pleasure out of helping people. And I remember in the early days when I first started my business, I remember just feeling weird charging $50 an hour. And and of course, you know, it, it took a lot of confidence in this idea of charging people money for these things that were of value to them. To me, I'm thinking, who's ever gonna pay me money to help them learn how to hook up. I mean, it's something that was so second nature to me. All of this stuff, all these computer things in this technical and gear, 
this all comes second nature to me, and I loved it, I, and I still love it. I, I think, how are people, who's going to pay me for this? I remember when I, I I'm like, I, I've got to charge more than 50 bucks an hour. I went to 95 bucks an hour, and then I went, I was going to go to $150 an hour, and my mastermind group told me, no, Cliff, you need to go to $200 an hour. I said, well, I can see them paying me $150 an hour. 200 hour, nah, I don't know about that. And so they said, okay, well, if you don't have the confidence in $250 an hour, you should only charge, or, or $200 an hour, you should only do the 150 like you're, you're suggesting. And so I only did the 150. People were hiring me left and right at 150. And I even had people saying, you should charge more. And it wasn't very long that I realized, it's like, listen, I'm, I'm still, you know, for me to make it, you know, th- I don't want to business that just barely puts food on the table, but I want a business that generates enough money that that can pay me, but also can have a little bit of money to invest in continued education, that can help invest in going to conferences. I wanted to to be able to network and meet with people in person. I wanted to, uh, you know, I, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I had a business where I can invest in new hardware or software for my business to even make things more efficient or that would allow me to to create more products and services that would help me generate even more income. Wouldn't it be great if I had a business where if if I go to a conference, I could host a meetup and I could pay $1,500 to run a place and pay for food for everyone? Wouldn't it be nice to have all, well, on 150 bucks an hour, I couldn't. And so I did eventually jump my rate to 200 and then my rate went to 300 and recently, the most recent consulting work that I did was $1,000 for a one-hour call. And you know what? It took a lot to get to those, those places where I was able to increase my income. Today, I don't feel any shame in charging money for what I'm doing. But there was a lot of shame in the first stages of my business. I felt very guilty for charging people money, especially those who, oh my gosh, these people can't afford it or, or you know, the money's so tight for them and, and I feel like I'm taking away from them. And there, you know, there are certainly some things that I had to get over. And the reality is that I'm like, okay, I, I'm in business. I definitely need to generate an income. I've got a, I've got a wife and kids. I got to put food on the table. I've got to, you know, the only debt we had at this time is our mortgage, but I still, I've got to, the mortgage has to be paid. There has to be health insurance for everyone. And not to mention the fact that, well, I'd like to have even a little extra to grow this thing, to invest in making this thing even bigger so that I can, in fact, help more people. I eventually get to the place where I'm like, okay, I, I, how am I going to deal with this shame? And one of the ways that I dealt with the shame early on was like, okay, I may not be able to be the person at $300 an hour. Let's just pull out when I, my rate was $300 an hour. At $300 an hour, there's going to be a lot of people out there who would love to work with me that I definitely could help. There's no question at all I could help them, but they can't afford $300 an hour. Then all of a sudden, you know, I had to deal with the shame of knowing that, hey, I need to fill my schedule a certain number of hours per week, a certain number of weeks per year. There's not only working those calls, but there's also doing things that are going to help fill that. You know, I have I have to market, spend hours marketing myself. And my marketing was building content online for my blog, my YouTube channel tutorials, free materials, and stuff like that, so that I I can't just jump on and do a ton of free calls, and I certainly didn't like the idea of going on at, you know, when finally I understood the value of what I was offering at $300 an hour, I don't like the idea of discounting my rates down to 100 bucks an hour, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that, but there are a couple things. Every now and then, you just, you do do for some what you wish you could do for everyone, and I allowed myself to do a little bit of pro bono work here and there. And every now and then I still do, but not because I feel shame for charging the money that I did. Back then I did. I felt the shame. But today I I, I have come to the place where I understand that I'm not going to be able to be the guy who can teach anyone and everyone through one-on-one coaching. And today I don't even do very many 
one-on-one coaching opportunities. Instead, I do all of my one-on-one through group coaching in my podcasting A to Z course. Now, anybody who's ever been through podcasting A to Z, you know it is very much having me as your one-on-one personal coach from four weeks, but it's through A to Z. You know, it's a $2,000 course. So there's certainly a lot of people out there that do not have $2,000 to take my course, and I understand that. So for me, what I've done is I'm like, okay, I may not be the consultant for you because I don't have, unfortunately, an unlimited number of time to work with people who can't afford me. I work with those who can afford me, which allows me to have margin in my schedule. It allows me to have margin financially, which allows me to have more time to create free resources for people. That's where I create podcast content. That's where I create my podcast newsletter. That's where I create my YouTube channel. That's where I, you know, I've got all of these epic blog posts or free tutorials online, even paid tutorials at a much lower cost than it would cost to hire me one-on-one. Because I actually charged more money and worked with people who could hire me, it's allowed me to help thousands and thousands and thousands of more people. In fact, over 100,000 people have gone through the free tutorial materials that I've had on my site over the past 11 years. But that content wouldn't be there if I did not have the financial margin that I have today. And so today I don't struggle with this idea of shame in accepting money for the service that I provide to others. I will say this though, occasionally you come across someone who does try to shame you or I've come across people who have tried to shame me for expecting to be paid for the advice and 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 service that I provide. There have been times when people have said, hey, Cliff, thank you so much for your podcast. I've been listening to you for a couple months now. I, I really love your show. I've been through your free tutorial at learnhowtopodcast.com. I just have a couple quick questions for you. And they're quick questions. They Usually, let's just say there's two or three. Sometimes there's four questions. And their question comes out like this. Hey, in the tutorial, I know that you're using this mixer, but I'm actually using this mixer instead. And they give me the mixer and model number. And they said, and I don't have the Roland recorder that you have, but instead I have this particular recorder and it's got different inputs. The first question I have for you is what exact cable do I need and where do I hook it up on this mixer? And where does it go into this recorder to be able to do the same thing that you're talking about? The second question I have for you is this, and, and it's like, okay, do I have the, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the skill to hit reply and provide that person for free a valuable response that is clear and step-by-step that will actually answer every single question that they just asked me? Yes. How much time would that take for me to do that? And in the case of what I just gave you, I need to go look up the mixer. I need to look up all this information about what they have, find out what cables. Sometimes I need to go and see what settings are in the manual. There are things that I need to look up to be able to provide them an answer that actually will keep them from needing to come back with four or five follow-up questions. Oh, that didn't work. Then try this. When I give an answer, I want to give them a thorough answer that I know is going to be the answer. I've actually looked it up in your manual. (laughs) I download user manuals all the time for my podcasting A to Z students. But how long would it take me to answer their quick question? Because their quick question took them about 10 minutes to write. But for me to reply with an answer to all their questions that would be adequate and up to my standards that I know would serve them well, it's going to take a minimum of 45 minutes and could take an hour to an hour and a half to adequately do it via email. Now, if that were a scheduled phone call, would I need that amount of time? No, because with a phone call, I could pick up the phone, talk to that person, and probably within 30 to 45 minutes, have that hammered out. The question is, is can I consistently do that and still have a profitable business if I do that without charging them? No. So when people send me these quick questions, and by the way, I get over 100 emails a day today, and I get probably about 20 or more emails every day with quick questions. 
And when somebody sends me a quick question now, I explain to them, hey, thank you for reaching out. I see that you have requested some information that's very common that comes in. Unfortunately, I'm not able to answer questions like these via email. However, with that being said, I would like to be of service to you, and I give them three or four different options of places where they can turn to find the exact answers to what they're asking for. One of the options is to work with me one-on-one through my next session of podcasting A to Z. Well, there are some people every now and then who will respond. It's like, oh, never mind, Cliff, forget it. I, I didn't realize you were just another one of those guys who only cares about the bottom line or who only cares about the number, who only cares about the plate clients, blah, blah, blah. Shame on you. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm done with you. I didn't realize that you, you were a total sellout. Now, how many, how many times does that happen? Very, very seldom. Very seldom. But for somebody who has struggled with feeling shame for charging money in the past for what you do, those pieces of feedback, they really hurt. They dig deep. They get under the skin and they it's like pouring salt over a wound that hasn't quite healed yet, you know, at times. It doesn't bother me as much today. I mean, today I just like, okay, this person doesn't get me. That's cool. And I move on with my day. But man, a long time ago, I really struggled with that shame, the shame of charging money for what I did and then charging as much money as I did. I I, I wanna tell you a story and I hope that I can come back on the next several episodes and share with you some more from this book. So here's the story. I had a client years ago who purchased my Podcast Answer Man equipment package, which by the way, I sell at podcastanswerman.com slash equipment. This person says, Cliff, I want the equipment package. I want the same thing you have in your studio. And by the way, I know that you it comes with a free tutorial and stuff like that, but if you don't mind, I'd like to buy an hour of your time. Actually, no, he wanted two hours, so it was $600. So I already made the amount of profit that I typically would make on equipment package sales, and I just made an additional $600 of income for a two-hour call with this client. He got the equipment, it was shipped out to him. I knew when the equipment was gonna be arriving, and so I went ahead and scheduled the call with him. We got on the call after his equipment had arrived. Once we got on the call, I hit record on my recorder, and I let this client know that I'm recording our entire conversation. As we talk over the phone, I am gonna be walking him through every single step of setting it up. And so the first thing we did, okay, let's plug in the mixer. Now, I want you to take this cable from the microphone and plug it into this port on the mixer. I want you to take this cable out of its box. It's the one that's CMP105. That goes into this port on your mixer. Now, the other end of that cable goes over here. And I'm literally walking him through step by step by step. And then I would would take him through every single knob every button on the mixer and I would explain to him what it is and what the setting it should be to match the same exact settings I have in my own studio, which I know for a fact guarantees perfect audio levels 100% of the time. And so I walk him through all of that and then we, we decide to move over to Skype. We get off the telephone, we get on Skype and sure enough, he's able to hear me, I'm able to hear him, I'm still recording everything And he had actually at the time purchased this thing called a JK Audio broadcast host. I do not recommend these things these days. If you can avoid a telephone interface device, uh, by all means, please avoid it. But at the time, this was the best scenario. Skype was not very reliable for telephone calls back in the day. This JK Audio broadcast host, I had helped him set it up and everything was working fine. I would actually call him from my mobile phone and he would pick it up from his telephone interface device and everything was working perfect. After the call, and we had spent two hours together, he asked me lots of questions, I answered all of his questions, and at the end of the two hours, I sent him the audio recording of that consulting call. And I said, if you ever have anybody come in, if you ever have your kids come in and they completely unhook everything or mess up all the cables, knobs, or whatever, you can always listen to this recording and it'll walk you through. You just do everything you heard me say over the phone It'll play it for you in the recording. 
boom, you're good to go. He was so excited. He was delighted to have found me, to have paid me to have the equipment, you know, and, and to have a package where he didn't have to worry about getting the wrong cables, that I had already done all of that. And then he was more than delighted to pay me $600 for two hours of my time to walk him through the setup of every single tiny little thing. Now, three weeks later, I get an email from this client. He says, Cliff, I want to reach out to you. I need to schedule a call with you. I'm having a problem with my JK Audio. Whenever I press the call button, I hear this static noise. And I'm like, oh, okay. And of course, I, I did not have a ton of free time on my schedule at the time. I was, I was very booked full. I said, I can get you in in about a week from now. If, if you need anything sooner, and by the way, my, my rate was, you know, at the time, $300 per hour with a minimum of one hour. And he understood that. He says, no problem, Cliff. Put me down for an hour. And I said, I'll tell you what, if, if you want, I'll go ahead and put you on my schedule. But if you want, you can call this phone number. Here's the phone number for JK Audio. They have amazing tech support there. If you want, you can tell them what's going on. They'll help you out for free. And if you get your help there, you can probably save $300 and get an answer to your question if you'd want to just do it that way. And he's like, Cliff, if it's all the same to you and if it's okay and you have the time, I'd rather work with you. So I gave him an option to work for free with this other thing. So now I'm getting ready to charge him another $300 for a one hour call. This was before I have them prepay for the call. So I I hadn't billed him for this $300 one hour session with me. And, you know, I, I got to think it's like, well, you know, hey, what if, how can I save this guy some money and just give him some couple things to check in? And I sent him another email with some things. He's Cliff, I'll just wait until we get on the call. It, don't worry about it. You know, if you've got the time, I've, I've got it on my schedule. I look forward to talking to you, you know, next week. So I, I'm sitting here trying to give this guy all these things so that he doesn't need to pay me this $300. What's wrong with this guy, you know, this Cliff Ravenscraft guy that, he want, that he's in business, but he does, he's trying to help people not pay him, right? And this is even when I thought, maybe I've gotten over the shame of charging people money. I mean, I'm, I'm charging $300 an hour. You would think that, I, okay, I'm, I'm over this whole shame for receiving money thing, right? Well, that's until we actually get on the call to solve this problem. So the day came. Now, I always try to jump on the call a little bit early. It was a conference call that I had set up. I got on the call five minutes early, and he was already there. I said, hey, how's it going? He says, going great. We talked just real briefly about his trip that he just got back from. I immediately said, hey, let me do a test call. What I'm going to do is I'm going to call you for, call your number, studio line, from my cell phone, and I did. And he hit the button and it picked up the phone, but I wasn't hearing him. He wasn't hearing me. And he told me he heard static. And then all of a sudden I said, well, can you do me a favor and hit the record button on the recorder? And I had him send me a recording of what he was hearing. He sent me the recording. And as soon as I heard it, literally, I, I opened up the recording that he sent me. It was less than three seconds of audio before I instantly knew what the problem was. And I said, can you tell me, while you were out of town, did the electric go out? And he goes, well, yeah, how did you know? When I came back from my trip, I had to reset all the digital clocks in the house. I said, oh, I said, do me a favor. Reach behind your JK Audio device, the broadcast host, pull out the power cable out of the back of it, wait three seconds, plug the power cable back in. He says, okay. I said, okay, now I'm going to dial your number. And I, I called him from my cell phone and he answers and boom, we have solved the problem. Now, here's the thing. We started that call five minutes early and I solved his problem within five minutes. We haven't even gotten to the time when the call was scheduled yet and I'd already solved his problem. I said, listen, I am so sorry. I I never even thought about this. I've had the broadcast host for about two and a half years at that time. So I said, I've had this broadcast host for about two and a half years, and this has happened to me twice, and I forgot all about it. But every now and then, if the electric goes out, when the power comes back on, it does produce a little bit of a surge, and what that does is inside the broadcast host, it causes a crossover in the circuitry, which blocks the audio signal coming in and out. It's happened to me twice in the past, and each time I remember having to pull the cable out. So that's all you needed to do. He goes, 
Cliff, you're amazing. Now, here's my credit card. How do I pay you? And here's what I told him. I said, I'm sorry. I can't charge you for this. You know, in my mind, I've already made a decent profit off the equipment that I sold him. I already made $600 for two hours having the time of my life helping this guy understand his equipment. I loved every minute of those two hours I spent with him on the phone, walking him through step by step. I mean, it just, it fulfilled me in a way that you just don't even know. It's like, he's like, Cliff, you're so great. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I'm delighted. I'm thrilled. And it just made me feel so good that I was using my gifts, my talents to serve him. And he was so appreciative. I'd already made a good profit on the equipment sale. I'd already made $600 for two hours of just pure enjoyment. And now I, I haven't even, I, I, I was going to charge him $300 for an hour and in less than five minutes before the call was even started, I'd already solved this problem. And it, quite honestly, I felt guilty for not being able to think about the potential that that was the problem when he emailed me, you know, a week earlier. Why didn't I think to tell him that? I said, listen, I, in good conscience, I can't charge you for this. And he says, Cliff, you're crazy. Charge me. And I said, no, I, you know, I, you know, I, I should have thought about that. I feel bad that I didn't bring it up beforehand. And I, and just trust me in good conscience, I can't charge you $300 for an hour when I, when, when this is all it was. And he's like, are, are you sure? I'd rail, I really feel better if you let me pay you. And I said, no, don't worry. It'll all come out good in the end. And, and by the end of that call, I had not charged him. And he desperately wanted to pay me. Now, my mindset back then was that I did the right thing. But my mindset today is that I did not do the right thing. In fact, my mindset today is that I actually withheld a blessing from him. And that is, I told him that I was not interested in his certificates of of appreciation. And in fact, my mindset back then about money was that I had not earned his $300 because I had not given him an hour of my time. Today, my mindset is that what I provided to him was worth twice as much. It was worth twice as much. And why would I say that? This guy obviously has enough money and resources that it's no problem at all for him to easily pay me $300 for me to help him solve this issue. I'd even given him multiple opportunities to, with either some written resources, some online resources, or the free technical support hotline, I guarantee if he would have just called that number the week earlier, he would have instantly had them do the same thing and it would have been solved. But he had, he already had the resources and was already prepared to pay me $300 to solve the problem. He wasn't paying me $300 for an hour of my life. He was paying me for a solution to the problem that he had, which was static and not getting audio on his telephone calls. The reason I was able to diagnose the problem within within less than five minutes is because I have worked with this equipment. I knew the steps to test it. And as soon as I heard the audio clip, I instantly recognized that sound of when I had to do the same thing after a storm. It's because of my experience. He wasn't paying me $300 for my hour of my life. He was paying me for the experience and wisdom and knowledge of knowing how to solve the problem that he had. And that problem he had already determined was worth $300. And where did this idea that why I think it'd be worth twice as much? And the reason why is because if he's willing to spend $300 an hour with me to save the learning curve, to not have to actually watch tutorials and go back and forth and apply, but he just wants this you know, direct one-on-one, help me, you know, boom, I want to get this thing done. Well, his time is valuable, obviously. There's no shame in charging him $300 for that call that day if I would have charged him. And in fact, not only did I give him the gift of the solution for the amount of money that he already agreed to pay, and he was happy to do so, but I just gave him an entire hour of his life back. How much was his time worth? And the fact that I just gave him a free hour in his day when he was already prepared to commit that full hour 
of that day to solving this problem and I helped him solve it in five minutes, heck yeah, I should have charged him the $300 that, that day. What we call that is self-sabotage and it has all to do with the way that we think about money. It is not shameful to charge people money for the services that you provide, for the products that you create. And that money, as we hear in the book, Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin, is called Certificates of Appreciation. My plan at this moment in time, as I'm recording this, is that I'd like to come and share some more with you, some quotes from this book, Thou Shall Prosper, and share some more thoughts about money and how my mindset has shifted over the years. And what I'd like to ask you to do is go over to podcastanswerman.com slash 491, podcastanswerman.com slash 491. Leave me a comment in the show notes. Let me know if you want me to continue on with this topic. Was this episode valuable for you? And would you like to hear more about the idea that actually having a business is a good and praiseworthy thing? Let me know podcastanswerman.com slash 491. And uh, who knows, I might be back next week with some more thoughts on business and money and why it's good to charge people and why it's even better to accept people's money when you do. All right, just real quick, my next session of podcasting A to Z is coming up on Monday, May 1st. Maybe you already have an audio podcast and you are looking to take it to the next level. And also, for those of you who maybe either already have a podcast, you're not interested in podcasting, but you have an online business and you would just like to have the access to ask me any questions you want for four weeks, knowing that I'm going to respond to every question. I've had students do that. But certainly for those of you who simply do not yet have an audio podcast, I mean, come on. Think about all the value and insight and how your life is better because of all the podcast shows you've been listening to. Not just mine, but all the other shows that you listen to. Imagine how you can get your message out there and you can make other people's lives better. You can have a powerful and positive impact in the lives of others. How you can actually create a business and even excel in your business by taking your message to the next level, helping to promote your knowledge, wisdom, and experience and how you love to help and serve. And not only that, people can come to know, like, and trust you by hearing your voice week after week. If you have not launched your podcast, but you are thinking about creating one, let me be your personal coach as you are going through every step in the process. I will walk you through podcastingatoz.com, your personal coach for four weeks. Again, podcastingatoz.com. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Podcast! Add some man.